0: Chapter Twenty Eight of the Conquest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Conquest by Oscar Michon Chapter Twenty Eight The Breeds. Here this story may have ended. That is, had I taken her to the minister, but as everybody had gone land-crazy in Dakota, and I had determined to own more land myself, I told her how I could buy a relinquishment, and she could file on it, and then we would marry at once. Now, when a young man and a girl are in love, and feel each other to be the world and all that's in it, it is quite easy to plan, and Miss Rooks and I were no exception, Had we been in South Dakota instead of southern Illinois, and had it been the month of October instead of January, nine months before, we would have carried out our plans. But since it was January, we mutually agreed to wait until the nine months had elapsed. But something happened during that time, which will be told in due time. I enjoyed feeling that I was at last engaged. It was positively delightful— And when I left the next morning to visit my parents in Kansas, I was a very happy person. While visiting there, shooting jackrabbits by day, and boosting Dakota to the Jayhawkers half the night, I'd write to Miss Rooks sometime during each twenty-four hours, and for a time received a letter as often. Two sisters were to be graduated from the high school the following June and wanted to come to Dakota in the fall, and take up claims, but had no money to purchase relinquishments. I agreed to mortgage my land, and loan the money, but when all was arranged, it was found one of them would not be old enough in time. So my grandmother, who had always possessed a roving spirit, wanted to come, and so it was settled. When I got back to Dakota and jumped into my spring work, it was with unusual vigor and contemplation, and all went well for a while. Soon, however, I failed to hear from Jessie and began to feel a bit uneasy. When three weeks had passed and still no letter, I wrote again, asking why she did not answer my letters, In due time I heard from her, stating that she had been afraid I didn't love her, and that she had been told I was engaged to Daisy, and as Daisy would be the heir to the money and property of her parents, she felt sure my marriage to Miss Hinshaw would be more agreeable to me than would a marriage with her, who had only a kind heart and willing mind to offer.' so she had on the first day of April married one whom she felt was better suited to her impoverished condition. Now what she had done was, in her effort to break off the prolonged courtship of the little fellow referred to in the early part of this story, and who was still working for three dollars a week, she had commenced going with another, a cook of forty-two years of age, and had thought herself desperately in love with him at the time. I had not even written to Miss Henshaw, and knew nothing whatever of any engagement. I was very downcast for a time, and like some others who have been jilted, I grew the least bit wicked in my thoughts, and felt she would not find life all sunshine and roses with her forty-two-year-old groom. Lots of excitement was on around Megory and Callius, and as I liked excitement I soon forgot the matter." With the location of the land office in Megory and its subsequent removal from east of the Missouri, it was found there was only one building in the town, outside of the banks, that contained a vault, and a vault being necessary, it became expedient for the commercial club to provide an office that contained one. Two prosperous real estate dealers, whose office contained a vault, readily turned over their building to the register and receiver until the land office building, then under construction, should be completed. A building, twenty-five by sixty feet, was built in the street just in front of the office to be used as a temporary map room and to be moved away as soon as the filing was over. The holders of lucky numbers had been requested to appear at a given hour on a certain day to offer filings on Tip County claims. By the time the filing had commenced, the hotels of both towns were filled, and tents covered all the vacant lots, while one hundred and fifty or more autos to be hired at twenty-five dollars per day did a rushing business. The settlers seemed to be possessed of abundant capital, and deposits in the local banks increased out of all proportion to those of previous times. Besides the holders of numbers, hundreds of other settlers who had purchased land in Megory County were moving in at the same time, bringing stock, machinery, household goods, and plenty of money. Those were bountiful days for the locators and land sharks. When Magori County opened for settlement a few years previous, it was found that the Indians had taken practically all their allotments along the streams, where wood and water were to be had, The most of these allotments were on the manca bottom below Old Calias. In fact, they had taken the entire valley that far up. The timber along the creek was very small, being stunted from many fires, and consisted mostly of cottonwood, elm box elder oak and ash all but the oak and ash being easily susceptible to dry rot were unfit for posts or anything except for shade and firewood this made the valley lands cheaper than the uplands the indians were always selling and are yet what is furnished them by the government for all they can get when given the money spends it as quickly as he possibly can buying fine horses buggies, whiskey, and whatnot. Their only idea being that it is to spend. The Sioux Indians, in my opinion, are the wealthiest tribe. They owned at one time the larger part of southern South Dakota and northern Nebraska, and own a lot of it yet. Be it said, however, it is simply because the government will not allow them to sell. The breeds near old Callias were easily flattered, and when the white people invited them to anything, they always came dressed in great regalia, but after the settlers came there was not much intermarrying such as there had been before. A family of mixed-bloods by the name of Cutchall owned all the land just south of old Callias. In fact, the site where Callias had stood was formerly the allotment of a deceased son. The father, known as Old Tom Cutchall, was for years a landmark on the creek. Now and then, Nicholson brothers had invited the Cutchalls to some of their social doings, which made the Cutchalls feel exalted and higher still when Ernest suggested he could get them a patent for their land and then would buy it. This suited Cutchalls dandy. Ernest offered $7,000 for the section, and they accepted. At that time, by recommending the Indian to be a competent citizen and able to care for himself, a patent would be granted on proper recommendation, and Nicholson Brothers attended to that, and got Mrs. Cutchall the patent. Tom, her husband being a white man, could not be allotted, and she had been given the section as the head of the family. It is said they spent the seven thousand dollars in one year. The company of which the father of the Nicholson brothers was president made a loan of $8,000 on the land, and shortly afterwards they sold it for $23,000. The lots had brought more than $100,000 in Callias, and were still selling, so this placed the Windy Nicholsons, as they had been called by jealous Megoryites, in a position of much importance and they were by this time recognized as men of no small ability years before megory county was open to settlement many white men had drifted onto the reservation and had engaged in ranching and had in the meantime married squaws this appeared to have been done more by the french than any other nationality judging by the many french names among the mixed bloods among these were a family by the name of Amaro consisting of four boys and several girls. The girls had all married white men, and the little, while old Callius was in existence, two of the boys, William and George, used to go there often, and were entertained by the Nicholson brothers with as much splendor as Callius could afford. The Amaral were high moguls in little crow society during the first two years, and everybody took off their hats to them. They were called the Rich Mixed Bloods, and were engaged in ranching, and owned great herds in Tip County. When they shipped, it was by the trainloads. The Amaro and the Colons, another family of wealthy breeds, were married to white women, and the husbands, as head of families, held a section of land, and the children each held one hundred and sixty acres. Before the Nicholson brothers had left old Callias, and before they had reached the position they now occupied, as I stated, they had shown the Amoreau a good time. They did not have much Indian blood in their veins, being what are called quarter-breeds, having a French father and a half-blood Indian mother, and were all fine-looking. George had seven children, and the family altogether had eleven quarter-sections of land, and two thousand head of cattle so there was no reason why he should not have been the big chief but so much society and paid-for notoriety had brought about a change to him and his brother william who had always been a money-maker and a still bigger spender with the fine looks thrown in had shone like a skyrocket before bursting a rich Indian is something worth associating with, but a poor one is of small note. The Amoreaux spent so freely that in a few years they were all in, down and out, had nothing but their allotments left, and these the government would not give patents to. The Colognes had done likewise, and together they had all moved into Tip County. Now there was another Amaro, the oldest one of the boys, who, like the others, had blowed his roll, but happened to have an allotment in the very picturesque valley of the Dog Ear, in Tip County, near the centre of the county, and when a bunch of promoters decided to lay out a town, they made a deal with Oliver, taking him into the company, he furnishing the land, and they the brains. They laid out the site and began the town, naming it Amaro in honour of the breed, which made oliver feel very big indeed end of chapter 28